morning. I'm Donna Quinn, and for the next half hour, you'll be listening to Talk of Our Towns. Today, I am so honored and grateful to have Dr. Robert Michael Pyle on the phone with us from his home in southwest Washington. Uh, Dr. Robert Michael Pyle is an American naturalist, a writer, a teacher. He's the founder of the Xerces Society for Invertebrate Conservation. He's the author of 23 books, including Chasing Monarchs, Where Bigfoot Walks, and Wintergreen, which won the John Burroughs Medal, as well as the recent novel, Magdalena Mountain, and a flight of well-known butterfly books. His local classic, Sky Time and Gray's River, is winner of the National Outdoor Book Award, and it will be re-released in January of 2021. A Yale-trained ecologist and a Guggenheim Fellow, he's a full-time writer living in Wakayakum County, Washington. Bob's latest book is The Tidewater Reach, Field Guide to the Lower Columbia River in Poems and Pictures with Kathlam photographer Judy Vandermatten. It's his third collection of poetry. And we just got in the first review of his other new book, um, Nature Matrix, which will be coming out from Counterpoint Press in September. And Kirkus Reviews just wrote, Pyle proves yet again that he is one of the most nourishing nature writers at work today. If Pyle doesn't arise, your biophilia Check your pulse. Biophilia, the human desire to connect with nature. Um, Today we will be talking about the Tidewater Reach. You'll be reading some poems. Good morning, Dr. Robert Michael Pyle. Hello, Donna. It's so nice to be with you. Well, I'm delighted to have you on the phone today. And um, certainly for folks living in the lower Columbia River area, the Columbia Pacific area, your writing really helps us understand the sense of place here. However, it's universal. It applies to everyone everywhere, really. And um, I'm excited about learning a little bit about your background. And for those folks who don't know your work and are not familiar with you, please tell us a bit about your history, your background, and how you came to be in Grays River. Well, surely, Donna. Thank you. Uh, I'll begin with the present so you can put me in my context, which is everything. I am lying in bed in the second floor of Swede Park, my old farmhouse, Grays River, looking out over the Grays River Valley, which is preternaturally green right now, um, at the end of April, and I'm looking at the covered bridge over the Grays River with the great blue herons gliding in one direction and the bald eagles in the other, and the violet green swallows gambling all around the front of the house. So I'm in a good situation. I came from Denver, where I was hatched and brought up, and went to all my public schools in Colorado, in Aurora, Colorado and uh, came to the University of Washington in the mid-60s. I've been in the Northwest most of my life since. However, in between, I studied in England, and I did graduate work in Connecticut, and I um, worked in Papua New Guinea and various places around the world before coming back to Portland to work for the Nature Conservancy. And then uh, out one day, uh, looking around for butterflies, which I was have always studied, in Waukaikum County, the only county where we had no butterfly data, because it rains all the time, uh, not quite, um, I found some butterflies on an August day in 1978, and I also found this old farmhouse surrounded by big trees and a sign that said for sale by owner. And I've been here off and on uh, for 42 years since. And I worked in conservation biology for a number of years, not very many, full-time, and I have worked in teaching in a lot of capacities, including some uh, short-term guest professorships, but 
on the whole, I've been freelance as a writer, a biologist, and a freelance teacher and speaker and so on here in Grays River, and uh, I've made my home here, and it's the place where I love, in the estuary of the Lower Columbia. Yes, um, Sky Time and Grays River, Living for Keeps in a Forgotten Place. Um, I love that book. And um, I'm excited to hear about your new book about Tidewater Reach. Um, it's been said, Tidewater Reach extends our idea of what a field guide might be and the language we use to characterize and illuminate the natural world. So I know you're going to be reading some poems from that. Uh, before you read the first poem, maybe you'll tell us a little bit about how you and Kath Lamott photographer Judy Vandermatten decided to create the Tidewater Reach. Yes, it's a funny funny little story, really. Um, the I, I hope that many of the listeners uh, in the Lower Columbia area will be familiar with the wonderful free monthly uh, newspaper out of Longview called the Columbia River Reader, published by Sue Piper and her family. Every month, uh, Hal Kalbaum, a wonderful entrepreneur and writer, journalist, and uh, a Renaissance man, really, produces a feature for the Columbia River Reader called uh, People in Place. There have been a lot of good local folks featured. I was lucky to be the first featuree, and as part of that um, that article, I was asked by Hal to name several of my favorite Columbia River books, and I did, including Robin Cody's Voyage of a Summer Sun and, uh, and um, Sam McKinney's Ring of Tide, Reach of History, and so on. But I said, and then there's a sixth book that uh, will be one of my favorites, but it hasn't been published yet. It's a book of... of, uh, of uh, verse and uh, photographs of the lower Columbia called the Tidewater Reach. If any potential publishers are listening, please get in touch. So I sneaked that in. And Hal and Sue got to thinking and said, you know, we do this newspaper. Maybe we could be book publishers, too. And so on the basis of that, they began Columbia River Reader Press. Um, they've been distributing Rex Zeke's magnificent books. And now the Tidewater Reach will be their first full-fledged book coming out as soon as the presses roll in, in Centralia. It's ready to go. And um, that's how it came to be. Judy Vandermaten is a splendid photographer in Kath Lamott and a dear friend. She and I and our mates have been uh, major, uh, well, not major, no, I'm sure minor, but parts of major efforts uh, to protect the river from liquefied natural gas tankers that would have changed it forever and from various other threats. We got together through activism in the arts. And um, I have never felt inclined to collaborate with a photographer on a book before, except on the butterfly books, of course. And, um, and yet I love Judy's photos. Fell in love with them, began collecting them, and said I'd love to do a book with this person. And lo and behold, it's come to pass. Excellent. And I want to tell our listeners that I have just ordered my copy from Columbia River Reader, and it's so easy to do. You just go to crreader.com, and you can order a copy right there. And as soon as it is printed next month, um, I will get a copy of it, and I'm very excited about that. And um, Thanks for doing that. And um, I'll just mention that uh, Sue and Hal have put up a magnificent four-page spread about the book, including a number of Judy's photographs, um, on their website, crreader.com. So you can and a couple of the poems, so you can get a good sense of the book, um, which, by the way, the subtitle is Field Guide to the Lower Columbia River in Poems and Pictures. It's a funny kind of a field guide. It's a little bit of a wink that we use that term for 
it uh, actually has a lot of wonderful captions by Cal on Howell. So it, it actually does have field guide information, but it's a field guide through the heart as much as through the eyes and the brain. Yes. Well, why don't we hear um, a poem from Tidewater Reach? Good. I'm going to see if I can balance this proof copy in one hand, and and the, and my I'm speaking to you from my old traditional, <clears throat> extremely reliable rotary telephone here by the bed. I'm going to begin with a little poem. By the way, if people are put off by poetry and they they're going to tune out now, give it another listen. Poems don't have to be off-putting in the least. We were all taught to read poems that were too long, too challenging, too out of touch with their own experience at school, and it left a lot of people um, indifferent toward poetry. But uh, we hope to bring you back to poems, which can be fun, can be stories, and can be rich in image. So I'm going to begin with a poem called uh, to, to commemorate the season we're in. You know, we're in the last couple of days of National Poetry Month here, and uh, with, this, with this phenomenal green that will never be fresher in the rest of the year. So I'll begin with a poem called Spring Comes to Altoona. You know, uh, Elliot did say that April is the cruelest month, and we have to say that for many people, April has been extraordinarily cruel this year. And yet, for the lucky among us, um, including those in cities, it gives us a chance to know our neighborhoods better. And so here's one look at April that is, I hope, not cruel. Spring comes to Altoona. Altoona is an old fishing village, no longer there, except in memory, at the very foot of my river, where Gray's River debouches into the Columbia. This is the one where we head out Altoona Road every year, a bright sunny day at spring's front door. Could be as early as February, as late as April. It'll likely be nippy or maybe hot by the water, sparkling like so many stars all set on strobe. Rafts of scops all splash, one for every spark. This is the sharp corner where Deep River and Gray's River step into the Great River together, making Gray's Bay, making the Columbia nine miles wide. You can just make out the bridge, and in a few months, the fireworks will piffle downriver over Astoria. But this is the one where fireworks come as indecent cerise explosions of blood current in the gorgets of attending hummingbirds, in the unbearably blue wings of Echo Azures, first on the wing. Altoona faces due southwest, catches the sun full face as soon as it tips this way. This is the reason for this annual escapade among the ivy-hung cliffs of basalt, the other cliffs of mineral mud where the bandtails come to lick in shadows of broken stacks from Pillar Rock all the way down to here. Spring comes first to Altoona. Everyone knows that. This is the one when we come to pay our vernal tribute. Mm. Oh, yes, beautiful language. And a poet must see things and slow down enough to really pay attention. And I think that's probably a lot of what um, informs you is knowing where you live and really paying very deep attention. I think that's uh, what it's about, Donna. Thank you. That's perceptive of you, and as, as always. Um, it is about paying attention. I think that's exactly the business of a writer. 
to attend a poet, any other kind of writer, any kind of musician, any artist. And really, shouldn't it be all of our business to attend to that which is around us? Nabokov, the great scientist and lepidopterist, said, um, um, doesn't the world have a place in it where the mountainside, isn't there a high ridge where the mountainside of scientific, scientific knowledge meets the opposite slope of artistic imagination? I think that's where we all like to live. And Nabokov got there, became a whole person, by paying attention to what he called the individuating details. That's all I ask of anyone uh, in their own neighborhood, wherever it is, to pay closer attention to his or her surroundings or their surroundings. And also to give it a listen to the words and the music that emanates from the land and the water. Hmm. Oh, I love that. Listen to the words and the music that emanate from the land and the water. Um, yes, and context. That's a lot about what you do is, is put things into context. And, of course, recently now, because of this pandemic, there has been a lot of slowing down. And I wonder if you feel that the slowing down that people have had to do offers an opportunity to truly see, hear, feel, and commune with nature and even with our deeper selves. As you say, exactly it does, Donna, just that. I also think it offers us an opportunity to, in the slowing down, the great slowing down that we're subjected to or gifted with, it gives us a chance to uh, to be aware of the fact that the earth hears this. I'm not being woo-woo here, but we can see it in the fact that, the, as, as my, my uh, uh, dear good friend and poetry pal and best editor, Florence Sage, the great poet of Astoria, uh, to whom I uh, owe so much for this book. She pointed out in a poem that the Punjabis can see Kashmir for the first time in, in decades. Well, there are lots of things like that going on in the earth. I, I almost feel that the swallows flipping around my house are aware of the fact that there's less activity on the highway up above. Uh, I may imagine that. But I, I think the earth will notice this great slowing, and I hope the people will notice that themselves and that everything won't go back exactly as it was in terms of the air and the water and the busyness afterwards. May we not take a blessing from this and an unwanted one and, and um, possibly maintain a bit of the slowness. Wouldn't that be nice? Yes, yes, absolutely, to really be present in the moment, in the moment. And if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Talk of Our Towns, I'm your host, Donna Quinn. And today, on the phone from his home in Grays River, I have Dr. Robert Michael Pyle. Uh, Dr. Pyle is an American naturalist. He's a writer, teacher, founder of the Xerces Society for Invertebrate Conservation. He's the author of 23 books, including Chasing Monarchs, Where Bigfoot Walks, and Wintergreen, which won the John Burroughs Medal, as well as the recent novel Magdalena Mountain and A Flight of Well-Known Butterfly Books. His local classic, Sky Time in Grays River, uh, was winner of the National Outdoor Book Award, and that's going to be re-released in January of 2021. He's a Yale-trained ecologist, a Guggenheim Fellow, full-time writer living in Cuyahoga County. We are talking about his latest book, The Tidewater Reach, Field Guide to the Lower Columbia River in Poems and Pictures with Kathlamet photographer Judy Vandermatten. This is his third collection of poetry. He also has a new book coming out, Nature Matrix. We'll have you back on the program when that is out. Um, that just got a great review from Kirkus Reviews, which says, Piles proves yet again. Pile proves yet again 
that he is one of the most nourishing nature writers at work today. If Pyle doesn't arouse your biophilia, check your pulse. So how about another poem from the Tidewater Reach, Field Guide to the Kaloa Columbia River in Poems and Pictures? Yes, I want to read a, a fun one. It comes out of the depths of Astoria. Um, poems should be fun. This one it has some history and some observation, but I hope some fun, too. It's called River Pubs. There are a number of River Pubs poems in the book. This is called River Poems, Desdemona Club, A Gray Day on Gray's Bay. Or it would be, if you could see it, there's no river view from the Dirty D, in spite of its famous portholes. There's also no well scotch for happy hour, only bourbon, American whiskey, the only scotch at all is Johnny Black at six fifty per. This in a town founded by Scots. But the shuffleboard in the back is free. Nirvana's on the air. And I am almost alone on a Monday afternoon in March. One or two at the bar to keep the pink-haired barmaid company. A couple more clinging to the video poker. But if you could see out, and through the shot streaming rain, and if you happen to look north, across the river, it would be a very gray day on Gray's Bay. Put out into that murk, turn left like a bar pilot, and with luck, you'll come to the bridge. Beyond lie the Desdemona Sands, where as many ill-starred seamen have come to grief as have belly up to the bar in the Dirty D. This dive also named for that unlucky chick in Otello, here at the dark end of town. Just think, had it been a gray day on Gray's Bay on May 11, 1792, when Robert Gray crossed the bar in the Columbia Reda Viva, there would be no Gray's Bay. The Columbia might be named Vancouver's River. And the well whiskey at the Dirty D? It would be Canadian. <laughs> that is fun. Absolutely. And... And I think you and Kim Stafford and, and others who have such a great following are helping more people realize that poetry is fun, it's beautiful, it's raw, it's difficult, it's, it speaks from and to the heart in a language we all need to hear. Well, I hope so, and certainly Kim does. Uh, wasn't that a great program last week uh, on Earth Day when you had Kim on, uh, on the program? Uh, in a classic show. He's one of my great inspirations. Here's one I think Kim might enjoy. Donna, may I do this? Please. It's called The Book Boat. It's a story. I hope it's a novel in, in a page and a half. The Book Boat. He bought a good old tub named Lorraine, off an old salt gone to shore on Sylvie Island. Barely knew navigation, let alone diesel. So come spring and still afloat, he found a mate a worse off soak, never dried out, in a tavern off Lower Burnside on Water Street. So caulk decks, pump builds, romance the fickle engine into life. When it began to look like Lorraine might not sink, he built shelves in the hold and started buying books wherever he could. Goodwills and thrifts in the Dalles and St. Helens, library sales in Rainier and White Salmon, the remainder tables at Powell's. And then, recalling bookmobiles from his boyhood on the plains, he hung a shingle on the bridge and took the bookboat on the road, on the river. 
And so it went, up and down the tidal reach, Bonneville to Baker Bay and back again, sometimes through the locks, all the way to Lewiston, laying his wares before the boaters, the fishers, the workers, the loafers, all of them hungry for good books, although they might not know it. He sold them cheap, gave them away, or, his favorite, bartered for fish, fruit, or laundry, swapped a late Brian Doyle for a sturgeon, Middlemarch for Mary Hill wine, made enough for ground beef, beer, and diesel. Even the cat got fed, and the mate paid enough for drunken leave ashore. Lorraine became a legend up and down the river. Marinas vied for her, gave free moorage for a night or three, until he started to wonder about the islands, the inside passage and beyond. So he took Lorraine across the bar and didn't die, put in at La Push, where he sold all of his pushkin to a Russian emigre and a set of twilight to a wannabe werewolf, and then east up the straits, Nia Bay, CQ, PA, PT, and points north. Last rumors came from Kodiak, but even now, the Columbia remembers, and there's always a slip open, just in case. Oh, that is marvelous. How did Thank that you. come to be? Uh, strictly, uh, um, I don't know, I can't remember where I wrote that one, but um, some pub or some tree or some perch over the river somewhere, but it just came to me, just it was just an imaginative whimsy. I mean, poetry should be about as as much about whimsy as anything, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it really, Donna? And this was sheer whimsy. Well, I have to tell you that uh, I've always wanted to write a novel called The Book Boat, so I guess it came from that, but it's a whole lot easier. I mean, a short poem is not easy. Don't get me wrong, just because it's short, we, we revise them and work on them as at least as much as an essay or a chapter of a novel. <laughs> Nonetheless, it's a lot easier to write a, I hope, a good poem than a than a good novel. Uh, it took me 44 years to finish my last novel. The next one's got to be quicker. <laughs> but uh, I think it came really from my idea of a novel for a book boat, and then I said, let's write a poem instead. This is like Thoreau, you know. It says, I don't mean I'm like Thoreau, but <laughs> they, Thoreau said, a person, a young man gets together his materials to build a bridge to the moon, and, and in the end he builds a small cabin out back, or something like that, the quote goes. So. Mm. Kind of like that. By the way, all the places I mentioned in that poem, uh, except for Lewiston, are within what we call the tidal reach, the tidewater reach. And that is the scope of the book that Judy and I have approached. Uh, it's from it's the extent of tidewater, about 100 miles up the river to Bonneville. And all of the photographs and all of the poems generate from downstream of there, the great estuary, the breathing estuary of the Columbia and its backwaters. Here's one from one of those backwaters, Donna. It's called What the Muskrat Saw. Slipping through the marsh beneath the striders as the beaver, ten times his size, slid through the pond beside the dam where Aspen lay akimbo, stripped of bark above the runnel where the rainbow rose to meet the hatch of caddis at the riffle of the kingfisher's rattle through the willow's shadow on the river where the cottonwood leaf floated over sandy bottoms scored with crayfish holes and rocks all coated with snails whose tentacles quivered at the passage of the blennies and the scissor of the heron's bill 
which came up empty for a change, because the mink disturbed the fish a moment early, and they, in turn, alarmed a frog that leapt upon a fallen log where otter sunned, before returning upstream to the marsh where the muskrat, slipping underneath the striders, saw him and rose into his reedy house. Those are all images uh, I've seen cool. here, but uh, not all at the same time. But I read that at Fisher Poets, and someone said, uh, uh, that's the longest sentence I've ever heard. And I said, yeah, well, it's grammatical. You could diagram it. You know, uh, actually, uh, I saw a river otter swimming in the Columbia close to shore about a week ago. Wonderful. You're blessed. Very. And, again, paying attention, seeing, and you're hoping that the Tidewater Reach, the field guide to the Lower Columbia River and Poems and Pictures, allows people to look at perhaps landscapes they already think they know in a different way. That's right. That's exactly what I hope, and I could ask nothing more from any of my books or from anyone to pay greater attention to the world and through that to care more for it. So many of us have worked many, many hours, including you, Donna, very many hours to protect this river and its environs. And... Uh, I hope that comes throughout the book. There aren't very many political poems in the book. I've written a lot of political poems about the river. and They're, they're going to be coming out in a different book, but uh, this one is all about celebration and story, and lives and history, and how we, how we connect to this place. For example, crossing the river. I crossed the Columbia. How many times have I crossed this river? 500? 1,000? First time, 1964, with my mother bringing me by rail from Colorado to see her beloved Northwest. It took, so there were many crossings to come on the Portland Rose, the city of Portland, and eventually Amtrak, or sometimes Greyhound, Seattle to Denver and back again. Later, in a dynasty of Volkswagens, it was I-5 and 205, the Bridge of the Gods, Hood River, the Dalles, Biggs, Umatilla, Vernita, and Vantage, for jobs, field trips, family, and all the reasons one has for changing states of being. When I moved downstream to a lower crib, crossing shifted to the Lewis and Clark in Longview, the ferry at Westport in Honda, Toyota, Subaru. And now I cross the river more than ever before, at Megler, the last bridge before the bar. And gladly so, for when I cross the Columbia now, I'm crossing it to you. Yes, yes, this bridge, this river, they define this region for sure. And your love for it, your care for it comes through in all that you write. We just have a few moments left. So I'd like for you to say anything that perhaps we haven't talked about, about what you, what you're, what you would like people to take away from this, from your work, from the new book, which, again, people can go to CR reader.com and you can pre-order the book and as soon as the presses are rolling in May you will get a copy of that um, so what can we do to care for our home grounds I mean I think it's been said that you know to know something is to love it but so we have to know it not just you know fly by it drive by it we have to really know it so what would you say to listeners about how to connect with nature more deeply and how we can care for it as it cares for us because really nature is the grocery store, the pharmacy, the church, and so much more. It's everything. It's ourselves. Uh, it's the cynic one known, without which nothing. 
I mean, there is nothing. <laughs> it's truly literal. There is nothing but nature. So uh, what I would will to people is to pay excruciatingly, intimately, clear, close behavior to their neighborhoods and all their neighbors, human and otherwise, and then seek every opportunity to aid and abet their well-being, those around us now in these times, of course, but the rest of everything, too. B.B. Um, King used to say, I'm going to let Lucille do the talking. So let me let the poem do the talking. I'll read one final poem uh, that I hope will, uh, will answer your question, Donna. It's called, mm -hmm. I Cover the Waterfront, Ilwaco, December 2018. And it's dedicated to Carla of Time Enough Books. Sometimes it seems the hopes of all mankind lie on display in the small-town bookstore, against all odds still open on a bleak December dock in a time when so much else is going, going, gone. After the reading, I spill out the back door onto the wet green waterfront, walk up and down in the dripping dusk. The slips still have boats, though the fleet is tiny now. Still, a good seafood grill a pub, and Jesse's fish market at the end of the pier persist. I remember charters by the dozen, the cafe at the end of the spit, Dupay's hardware is a going concern. But now it's mostly a matter of the riverfront, where the Columbia River brushes Baker Bay before dying or being born anew, into the ocean itself. And what moves me is not what's gone, but what somehow remains. The boats, the oysters, the books, shiny in the light through the wet window. They speak to the possibility of all things, even in these times, waterfronts do, as long as little seaside towns live on, giving harbor to half-forgotten craft and vagabonds on a winter's night, and someday again, sea otters and condors. I will continue to cover the waterfront, seeking something not likely to be found anywhere else. Mm. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for making you, time Donna. to talk with me today. My cat just jumped up on the bed, so he knows that the time is up. I want to thank KMUN, my beloved radio station, KMUN. Happy birthday, KMUN. And uh, also Dylan, our engineer, and Donna Quinn, you are incomparable. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, and I hope that our listeners will uh, will go online and order the Tidewater Reach. It sounds like it's something essential for us to have, uh, those of us who are blessed enough to live in this area. Thank you again so much, and I, Dylan, thank you for making this possible, and Graham and everyone at the station continuing to do the amazing things you are to bring local programming to, um, to our area and to the world beyond. Um, also, my gratitude local, to local talented banjo instructor Michael Bruin for his original theme music for this program. And until next week, let's all take a very deep breath because it is so good for us, for body, mind, and spirit. And then focus on the things that are going well. There always are those things that aren't going well, but focus on the things that are with gratitude. And then let's give ourselves a loving and compassionate hug or a pat on the back for being uniquely you for doing the best you can, everyone really is, and for being here now in this moment, the only moment which exists, the now moment on the amazing planet we call Earth. Mm -hmm.